The House will come back on Tuesday, and members have been advised that votes are possible through next weekend. The Senate will return Monday and stay in session through Friday. Over the last three weeks in the House, after the inauguration, the House took a 12-day break and then came back to work on Tuesday, February 2nd. During the course of that week, the House took up and passed two budget resolutions to allow the Democrats to pass President Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package under the rules of budget reconciliation. The first vote came on Wednesday, February 3rd. The resolution passed by a vote of 218 to 212 with two Democrats, Ed Case, who represents Hawaii's first congressional district, and Jared Golden, who represents Maine's second congressional district, voting against it. Then the budget resolution was sent to the Senate, which debated and amended it and sent it back. So on Friday, February 5th, the House took up HRes 101, providing for the adoption of the current resolution S-Conres 5, setting forth the congressional budget for the U.S. government for fiscal year 2021 and setting forth the appropriate budgetary levels for fiscal years 2022 through 2030. The final vote was 219 to 209, with one Democrat, Jared Golden of Maine, voting against it. That was also the week, as you may recall, in which the House of Representatives voted to remove a freshman member of the minority party, Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia's 14th Congressional District, from her committee assignments. This week in the House, the House will return on Tuesday with the first vote scheduled for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to consider six bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday and Thursday, the House will meet at 10 a.m. for morning hour debate and 12 p.m. for legislative business. Scheduled for consideration are H.R. 5, the Equality Act, and H.R. 803, Protecting America's Wilderness and Public Lands Act. In addition, the House is going to try to pass the so-called American Rescue Plan, otherwise known as the latest coronavirus relief package, otherwise known as the Reconciliation Bill, before they go home. Last three weeks in the Senate, the Senate also came back to work on Tuesday, February 2nd. On that day, the Senate voted to confirm two Biden cabinet officers, Pete Buttigieg to serve as Secretary of Transportation and Alejandro Mayorkas to serve as Secretary of Homeland Security. The Buttigieg confirmation vote was 86 to 13, while the Mayorkas confirmation vote was 56 to 43. Then the Senate voted by 50 to 49 to agree to the motion to proceed to S-Conres 5, a concurrent resolution. That's the budget resolution. Two days later, on Thursday, February 4th, the Senate began what's known in Washington as Votorama, in which any senator can offer and get a vote on just about anything he or she wants. There's little debate, and they just stack up the votes and run through them as fast as they can. The Votorama began at about 2.30 p.m. on Thursday afternoon and ended at about 5.30 a.m. Friday morning. During the course of the evening, the Senate considered 39 amendments and motions to waive certain provisions so they could vote on an amendment. Of those 39 votes, the Senate voted to adopt 18 of them. But none of them survived the evening because at the end, Majority Leader Schumer offered an amendment in the nature of a substitute that wiped out all of the Republican amendments. And that amendment was agreed to on a 50 to 50 vote with Vice President Harris casting the tie-breaking vote. So we have a lot of situations where it will be possible to say in the 2022 elections, he was for it before he was against it. And this is important. Every Democrat who voted for one of the Republican amendments because not to do so would have put him or her in a tough spot back home when he or she next ran for re-election was allowed to get back in the good graces of the progressive left by voting for the Schumer substitute amendment that wiped out all the Republican amendments, which is another way of saying every single one of them is trying to have it both ways. And the easy part about this is because of the numbers, 
It means that every single Democrat senator cast the deciding vote on the Schumer substitute amendment, the ultimate form of political game playing. And we need to remind them of that come campaign season for those who are in cycle. The Senate came back into session the following Monday and voted to confirm Dennis McDonough to serve as Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Then on Tuesday, February 9, the Senate moved to serve as a court of impeachment for the second impeachment trial of President Trump. First, the Senate had to debate and decide whether or not President Trump was subject to an impeachment trial, given that he was no longer in office. By a vote of 56 to 44, the Senate agreed that he was, the sub that he was subject to conviction in the Senate. On Wednesday and Thursday, the House impeachment managers made their case. On Friday, former President Trump's lawyers offered their defense. On Saturday morning, there was a bit of a kerfluffle as the Senate voted to call witnesses. If followed through, this could have delayed the end of the trial for weeks, as both sides would have been incentivized to call witness after witness after witness. Trump aide Jason Miller deliberately trying to throw a brushback pitch at the Democrats allowed himself to be photographed holding a piece of paper on which he had written in letters large enough to be seen from across the room, witness list. It was a long list. Everything came to a screeching halt for a couple of hours. And then when the Senate came back into session, it was announced that an agreement had been made in which both sides stipulated to the admission of what in a court of law would have been labeled hearsay evidence regarding a conversation between the former president and Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader. And both sides agreed not to play the witness game and instead retreated to their respective corners. The final act was the same as it was at the first impeachment trial a year ago, where senators asked questions of the two teams of lawyers. After the last question had been asked, the Senate voted on the question of the former president's guilt, and the vote was 57 to 43 in favor of conviction with seven Republicans, Richard Burr of North Carolina, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Mitt Romney of Utah, Ben Sass of Nebraska, and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, crossing party lines to vote with the Democrats. But because it was only seven Republicans and not 17, it was not enough to get to two-thirds necessary, the two-thirds threshold necessary for conviction, and former President Trump was acquitted. And then they went home. This week in the Senate, they'll return tomorrow with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. That will be a roll call vote on cloture on the nomination of Linda Thomas-Greenfield to be U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations and also to be U.S. Representative to the United Nations General Assembly. Prior to that cloture vote, the Senate will hear outgoing Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman deliver President George Washington's farewell address. Now to confirmations. Not a single one of President Biden's nominees has been rejected by the Senate so far, but that may be about to change. On Friday, West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin announced his opposition to Neera Tandon, Biden's nominee to head the Office of Management and Budget. Tandon, a Hillary Clinton acolyte, has spent the last several years running the liberal think tank, the Center for American Progress. In that capacity, she spent an awful lot of time on Twitter, excoriating her political opponents. Republicans on the right and progressives on the left. She's gone hard after Bernie Sanders and his supporters. And that made for some awkward moments during her confirmation hearing before the Senate Budget Committee because that committee is now chaired by Senator Sanders. Manchin said he would oppose Tandon because despite her recent apologies for her sharp Twitter tongue, Manchin does not believe that she will be able to get along well with those she has previously criticized. The Biden White House responded to Manchin's rejection by saying Biden was still standing behind Tandon. We'll see how long that lasts. 
and whether or not Manchin is the only Democrat who announces his opposition to Tandon. On Monday, Merrick Garland, Biden's nominee to serve as attorney general, will get his confirmation hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And on Tuesday, Javier Becerra, Biden's nominee to helm the Department of Health and Human Services, will get his confirmation hearing before the Senate Health Committee. This confirmation may very well turn out out to be a bruising fight, and there is no certainty that Becerra will be confirmed. He is, of course, uh, shall we say, interesting nominee for this particular position. He's not a medical doctor. He has no experience in public health. He's not an expert in pandemics, and he has no history of management of a large bureaucracy. He's a career politician who spent 24 years in the Congress. He served most recently as California's attorney general, in which capacity he sued the Little Sisters of the Poor. Even after the Catholic nuns won their case against Obamacare's infringement of their religious liberty, he's a strong supporter of Medicare for all. In 2016, while still a member of Congress, he signed on to a letter supporting California's application for a waiver that would allow illegal immigrants to purchase health care plans on the Obamacare exchange. Stay tuned. On the immigration slash amnesty front, on Thursday, congressional Democrats unveiled President Biden's immigration amnesty bill. The legislation would create an eight-year path to citizenship for illegal immigrants already here and would create an expedited pathway for the so-called dreamers and some immigrants with temporary protected status. It would enlarge the number of diversity visas and would authorize more funding for immigration courts and security technology. In addition, the legislation would change the term alien to non-citizen throughout the U.S. code. But unlike previous comprehensive immigration reform bills, this legislation does not include provisions to strengthen border security. While it does increase penalties for employers who hire illegal immigrants, it does not have any provisions on employment verification. E-Verify remains voluntary. The 353-page bill was introduced as the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021. It's H.R. 1177 in the House, introduced by Democrat Congresswoman Linda, Linda Sanchez. We do not yet have a bill number for it in the Senate, where it will be introduced by New Jersey Democrat Senator Robert Menendez. There was an effort several weeks ago by leaders of the Hispanic Caucus in the House to have a citizenship measure added to the coronavirus relief package, but Democrat leaders knocked that down. Democrat leaders are not sure this bill can pass either the House or the Senate. They're already talking about breaking up the big bill into smaller bills and passing whatever provisions they can piecemeal. Expect this bill on the floor of the House during the second week of March. Now to the Biden coronavirus relief package, the reconciliation bill. On Friday, House Democrats took another step toward the passage of their $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package. They call it the American Rescue Plan. House Republican Whip Steve Scalise in an email to his Republican colleagues called it Nancy Pelosi's Payoff to Progressives Act. The 591-page bill follows the contours of the plan laid out earlier by President Biden. It includes so-called stimulus payments up to $1,400 per person for those making $75,000 per year or less. On top of the $600 per person they received from the last coronavirus relief package, the one that was enacted in December. The legislation also extends the supplemental unemployment benefits beyond their current March 14th expiration date and raises them to $400 per week from their current rate at $300 per week. Nutrition assistance and housing assistance can also be found in this bill. There's a massive blue state bailout in this bill, 
$195.3 billion to state governments and $130.2 billion to local governments. The bill includes an additional $170 billion for K through 12 schools and higher education. Keep in mind the coronavirus relief bill enacted in December includes $82 billion for education. The bill includes $14 billion to research, develop, and distribute vaccines. And there's $15 billion for the airline industry too. And in a provision that has absolutely nothing at all to do with relief from the coronavirus, there's a provision that would mandate an increase in the federal minimum wage to $15 per hour by 2025. Here are two more provisions that have absolutely nothing to do with relief from the coronavirus. The bill authorizes $135 million to the National Endowment for the Arts and another $135 million to the National Endowment for the Humanities. And just for good measure, the bill allocates $200 million for the Institute of Museum and Library Services. Some Democrat media consultant is going to cash in big time. Why? Because the bill contains a $1 billion, contains $1 billion, quote, to strengthen vaccine confidence in the United States. Quote, provide further information and education with respect to vaccines and, quote, improve rates of vaccination throughout the United States, end quote. The standard commission on that ad buy alone would fund about a dozen campaigns for the U.S. House of Representatives. The House Budget Committee will take up the bill on Monday. Members of the Budget Committee will be working from text sent to them by nine of the 12 House committees that had a finger in the reconciliation pie. That is nine of the 12 committees that received reconciliation instructions held some kind of hybrid hearing last week, while three skipped the exercise entirely. They figured they weren't gonna accept any Republican amendments, so why go to the trouble of holding even a virtual hearing? It is expected that the bill will hit the floor of the House by the end of the week. Now, let's talk about this for a bit. First off, it's hard to make an argument this bill is necessary. The unemployment rate has dropped to 6.3%. That's lower than it was dur during the entire first six years of the Obama administration. Second, we just passed a coronavirus relief bill back in December. That bill costed out at $900 billion plus, and it hasn't been spent yet. In fact, by some estimates, there's about a trillion dollars in appropriated funds that have yet to be obligated from the previous coronavirus relief bills. Third, this bill really does include a lot of stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with coronavirus relief. $325 billion for the blue state bailout, the money for NEA and NEH and the Institute of Museum and Library Services, a billion dollar advertising campaign on vaccines and a minimum wage increase. That's the kind of wasteful spending we would fight even if no one had ever heard of the coronavirus. But it's worse than that. This is the most important point. It's not just that this bill is not necessary. It's that this bill is counterproductive. It does not just waste money. It actually hurts our efforts to end the lockdowns and get over the pandemic. In other words, this is a bill designed to keep the lockdowns going. And that's why we must defeat it. And that's our